Oh shit, it's the coin toss. One surprise topic off the rip, two sides of a coin. Let's get it. Trey, welcome back, man. You get to call it, and I brought a real coin this time. It's a two-sided coin, too. Uh, we got uh, Texas or Blimp. Call it in the air. All right, give me Texas. It's Blimp. All right, Tarek, oh, would you like the ball, or would you like to defer today? I would love the ball, as long as we're calling Blimp Tales. Oh, it's, it's definitely Blimp. But let's start off with a bombshell. Happened a couple hours ago. Tyreek Hill was just traded to the Dolphins. Honestly, I just want to talk about it, so let's do it. If you're in a dynasty startup draft, who are you drafting first, Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle? Tarek. That is such an incredible question. Honestly, like... This is your best coin toss, right? Because the it truly is like <laughs> essentially 5149 for me. And I'm going to lean Tyreek Hill, right? And like, let me say from the outset, both Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, they're moving down my ranks just one or two spots because I think obviously they're going to cannibalize each other a little bit here in terms of production. But I'm going to lean Tyreek Hill because he's still in his prime, you know, you're still going to get two to three years of elite Tyreek Hill play at the very least. And Tyreek Hill is what we are hoping Jalen Waddle can become like 85% of, right? If Jalen Waddle becomes 85% of Tyreek Hill, he is a massive hit, right? He's become like 65% of him so far. So, I am going to lean Tyreek Hill, but because of the youth, you know, I think it's extremely close. Well, Trey, you usually say in this situation, if it's close error to the youth, is that what you're going to do here? Yeah. No, no, oh. it's not. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think uh, Tarek's right here. So, you know, I, I would agree. I would go Tyreek Hill here in this situation as well. Um, but I'm also lower uh, on Jalen Waddle than, you know, the rest of the, uh, the market is, I think, um, you know, Waddle had an incredible uh, rookie year, you know, tons of volume, but, you know, unfortunately it was very low a dot. Um, there's a new coaching staff coming in town. There's a new wide receiver one coming in town. So uh, I will take the certainty of the established bet over the risk level that, you know, maybe there's not that big of a jump for a guy who is a little bit older going into his, his second year in the pros. So we don't think that Waddle's going to get 140 targets next year. I don't think so. Well, and here's the thing, guys. I mean, with the uh, this is essentially the San Francisco offense coming into town, right? Like they are not known for throwing as much as Kansas City is, and and as much as the Dolphins did last year. So I do think, you know, while the target shares may stay the same, the overall volume could go down a little bit in Miami. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Especially because you know you've got. Tua Tungavailoa throwing the ball instead of one Patrick Mahomes. Uh, pretty big downgrade there, no matter how great of a prospect Tua was coming out. All right, but speaking of Patrick Mahomes, John, I have another I have another question for you the here. The three-sided coin. You knew it was oh, coming. Yeah, I, I had the real coin, and you know it's three-sided. Okay, I'll <laughs> let you ask this question if I get to ask a question when you're done. Proceed. Nope. All right, so here's the deal, John. Uh, if you're doing a dynasty startup, who is your first player off the board? Is it Josh Allen now, or is it still Patrick Mahomes after this trade? 
Superflex, That's of course. That's an excellent question. And I, I want to know, has Mitch been abducted by aliens? That's how good these questions are today. Uh, <laughs> the, the answer, I think, depends on what you're trying to do. And if you're picking at that spot in the... Uh, it, it, like the first pick of a super flex draft, you got to pick Josh Allen. I think he's the better of the two next year. And so if I'm trying to win, I want the better of the two next year. So I'm taking Josh Allen first overall. I, hey, John, I agree with you. And I w- would have picked Josh Allen a month ago. So, you know, now you guys have caught up to me. Yeah. Trey, oh, there Trey, it is. Trey told me because he, he, he was cool before it was cool. To Check like, the ranks, guys. It was in there. Slow and steady wins the race, Trey. You know, we're catching up. So, yeah, no, I, I I honestly, for the last couple of months, I've had Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes in the same tier. I just thought, you know, in uh, the Andy Reid offense and, you know, with just like Patrick Mahomes, what he showed in his MVP year, just a little bit more tantalizing to me than Josh Allen. But with this move, with Tyreek going over to the Dolphins, I am in lockstep with y'all. I think uh, you got to have Josh Allen as QB1. I bet you, though, and I'm going to stay. I'll be the Lone Ranger on Patrick Mahomes on this one because I bet you our opinions are going to shift pretty soon when the Chiefs patch up this trade because I don't think that they're done just kicking Tyreek and saying, all right, we're good with what we got. They have got to be drafting a wide receiver early or at in least, the first round yeah. yeah so um i'm gonna i'm gonna wait and see but patrick's still number one it's so close though i agree guys i like it i mean what i tweeted earlier today like with all the goofiness i'm seeing on my timeline right now it looks like patrick mahones might actually become a value in dynasty so yeah people people are really like saying like he's now a tier below justin herbert and josh allen and i'm just like come on that's no. goofy he's at least the same tier. Stop with the goofiness. That's goofiness. What the fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about Dynasty fantasy football. I'm your host, Tarek, Angry T. Benchuia, with me, as always, John Alexander, Trey Cryan, and Mitch Yates. We got the gang back together. Trey, welcome back, man. What's going on? Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, it's been a long time. Uh, it's definitely good to be back. Uh, it was definitely sad I uh, missed out on the last couple conversations with uh, the news of Palooza and all the the rookie quarterback conversations, but uh, jumping in... Uh, right in here for another fresh batch of news um and a little bit of news in uh my life uh over the last couple of weeks i actually uh ended up engaged so uh hey. bringing that <laughs> bringing that back home with me so uh it's all yes it's all good man Congrats, all good in, uh, my world. Man. snaps and claps everyone for trey crying an engaged man we love it we love to see it john what's going on with you man i i'm just uh I'm here and I'm thinking as the as the only person here who is actually married, uh, I feel like I should give Trey <laughs> some advice. And Trey, everyone's going to give you advice like your wife's always right uh, or things like, you know, just try to enjoy it. It's going to last a lifetime. My advice is for the wedding, just get the fuck out of here. Like you don't want to deal with 100 people. Like go to Tahiti or something. <laughs> like, invite everyone. They're not going to come. I'm coming. Just go and enjoy yourself. 
I will be there. <laughs> All right, Mitch. John's not Antara, coming. I can Tahiti. tell you that I'm, too. I'm not going. I don't know where Tahiti is. John, John, I appreciate I appreciate the wisdom there because I think what you're trying to recommend is uh, you know saving all of the the money and the time and the stress of, of planning a big event. And uh, you know what? Unfortunately, that decision's not up to me. So All right, that's, that's <laughs> but, because your wife is always right, Trey. Nobody's going to tell you that except for me. <laughs> Noted. I'll pass that along. Thanks, man. Mitch, I think Trey could have his wedding on the far side of the moon and you and I would be there. I'd be in communications with Bezos immediately trying to exchange <laughs> something other than currency. Uh, yeah, I'd be on the moon in a heartbeat, man. Wherever wherever you have it, you know I'll be there. Uh, Peeking through the bushes. That, that's real friends right there. All right. So, uh, you know, obviously, hearty congratulations aside. There is a lot to discuss on today's episode of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. So we're kind of basically for the third week in a row, we're going to get to a lot of big news items because this has been like the craziest three week period in NFL news that I can remember in a long time. Um, we're going to do news for the first half. Then we're going to continue kind of talking some underrated news items for halftime. And then in the second half, we are going to start um, our evaluation of the 2022 rookie running back class. So with all that in mind, let's kick off this first half. And uh, probably, you know, the most bombshelliest of bombshells over the last week was the Deshaun Watson trade. And let me just say from the outset, you know, it's really disappointing and disgusting that seemingly Deshaun Watson being accused of sexual misconduct and assault by 22 women has ultimately resulted in him getting more guaranteed money and for longer. Um, I don't want to say too much about it because there is plenty of brilliant women writing about the issue right now. So I encourage everyone listening to go seek out women journalists perspective on this and lift up their voices. So that's all I'm going to give to that. But for Dynasty, you know, he goes to Cleveland. Deshaun Watson joins Amari Cooper, Nick Chubb, David Njoku and company. We can probably expect some kind of suspension, but Trey, what is your perspective on the Watson trade from a dynasty lens? Yeah, I agree. I do think there is going to be a suspension here. I think there's a lot of precedent for, unfortunately, there's a lot of precedent for uh, similar type situations where guys have, um, you know, had to sit out a couple games. And I think the Browns expected to looking at the contract structure. So my guess would be about eight plus games, maybe longer, but Regardless, when he does return, he's going to be in really good hands with that coach, Kevin Stefanski, and that offensive line in front of him. So I think it's totally fair to just slot him in uh, for that same 23 points per game range that he was in back in 2019, 2020, when we last saw him on the field. So, you know, that'll put him at age 27 with uh, near top five production. So that's uh, it's a pretty good situation. But with all the risk involved, I think value-wise, I'd probably put him right about where you have Russell Wilson in like a low-end quarterback one range. Uh, but personally, I would not be making a move for him, uh, probably ever, but but definitely not until we see him you know, go out onto the field and, and do it again. You know, I almost hate taking the flip side of this argument here, like my gut is telling me that the NFL is going to try to further sweep this under the rug and not suspend him at all. So personally, I'm kind of going to operate that he's going to be starting from week one. But it's just an unfortunate part of the game. But like it, I there's just a discount 
on Deshaun Watson still because of the looming suspension and because the manager is rightly disgusted with him as a person. So I think exploring a trade for him is actually, you know, not a bad idea. And um, I think that once the season starts up and once that or whenever Deshaun Watson gets back on the field and we see that often start humming like that trade window is going to slam shut. So um, I do, I do think that he's around quarterback seven for me. So, and I think that with Amari Cooper, man, this was that one situation that I talked about would be good for Amari Cooper is if he was like that guy with a quarterback that would lock in on him and this is like that perfect situation so if you held on to amari cooper through that or even bought really low good for you because that's good news well mitch uh i got i got some unfortunate news for you i i agree with you i think that you can get deshaun watson for a discount but that's because i view him as a top five quarterback when he's playing at full capacity but Mm -hmm. currently keep trade cuts got him at qb7 right where you've got him so um, I'm not sure how much of a discount you're going to get, uh, right. but it, it seems like the market's kind of correct on that. But I, I am of the opinion that his ceiling is just as high as anybody else. So at QB7 prices, if we think that he's going to get back to where he was previous to all this, um, I still view that as a discount. Yeah, well, and I just wanted to follow up on the Amari uh, Cooper point, too, since uh, you, you raised that. Um this is essentially the same offense that Stefanski has been running for years now, including his time back in uh, Minneapolis. And uh, I don't think Mari Cooper is the same talent level as guys like Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. I think he's probably closer to Jarvis Landry, uh, who he's going to be replacing uh, presumably in this offense. So yeah, I, I'm not buying a huge bump for Amari Cooper. I think he's a nice weapon for Deshaun Watson, but this doesn't really do much for me to uh, go out and uh, go after Cooper at this point. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, there's some buzz about Will Fuller potentially signing there. Uh, and we know that him and Watson have a good connection, you know, and it's like hard to not belabor this point because what is kind of surrounding this conversation is that to a certain extent, if you want to trade for Deshaun Watson, you have to accept some kind of like ethical and emotional dissonance for it. Right. So I just want to like validate that if you don't want to trade for Deshaun Watson because you don't want him on your dynasty team, that is completely legitimate. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you do want to trade for Deshaun Watson because you feel like his situation is representing a value, then that's okay too. Right. Because you have to accept dissonance. Right. We're dealing with a league that has suspect ethics. Right. That's really only driven by the bottom line. Right. So. Um, I just want to make sure everybody knows that this is an uncomfortable conversation and that either way you come out on it, like us at the long game, we're validating that that's okay because there's really no right answer. Yeah, right. For sure. Yeah. So, yes, you know, um, in terms of like outside of Amari Cooper, what about like Nick Chubb, David and Joku, these other guys, Harrison Bryant, does this do anything for their value for you? It does for me and Joku. I, I love like, they franchised him, and I love that he's going to be catching the rock from Watson instead of Baker right. and Mayfield. And they cut Austin Hooper, right? That That is just, it has to be a bump. And whether it actually occurs or not, uh, I don't know. But I feel a lot better with my Njoku shares. Peoples-Jones, uh, I feel like, gets a little bump from me. Um, I know <laughs> Trey's shaking his head don't on care. that one. Don't care. <laughs> 
Peoples Jones is interesting. I would expect them to add another receiver and probably one on the outside that completely renders him useless. But there's still a chance that they don't do that, especially because they traded away the pick that everybody was mocking Garrett Wilson to them, you know, in order to acquire Deshaun Watson. So, um, yeah, I I will just say that Harrison Bryant is approaching that fabled third year breakout and he's not having to compete with Austin Hooper. He was on the field a lot last year and uh, he was an end zone threat. So I, I'm not sure that we're talking about top 10 status, but he's probably going to be higher than tight end 30 at some point in the next season here. It's interesting because Deshaun Watson, when he was at the Texans, he relied on his tight ends in the red zone a lot. Right. It's just that he never really had one guy right. right, to rely on. So now he has Njoku and Harrison Bryant. It looks like the team is investing in Njoku. So we'll see how that plays out. All right. OK, so let's move on to this next, you know, really big news item that happened pretty much right after we recorded last week. So we didn't get to it. And that was Devonte Adams going to Vegas for a first and second round pick. And then he signed uh, a five-year, $140 million deal afterwards. That was just a couple hours ago, outdone by Tyreek's new deal in Miami. But um, for Devontae Adams, right, he moves on from Green Bay. He's got that big-time shower narrative with Derek Carr. It's really strong. They went to college together at Fresno State. And I was very surprised to learn that apparently Aaron Rodgers knew this was a likely outcome when he signed his extension. Were you? So, John, I, I was surprised. Like, I thought, like, Aaron Rodgers was going to be pissed that this happened. But lo and behold, kind of like we talked about last week, it's all about money, right? It's so, all about I Aaron Rodgers, man. You shouldn't have been surprised at all. Well, joke's on me. But, John, who does this Devontae Adams trade affect in Dynasty for you and by how much? I just want to leave it open-ended for you to talk about. Oh, wow. I could I could take the next 30 minutes, but I won't. I'm, I'm just going to talk about three guys here. And the most obvious one we need to talk about is Devontae Adams. And at first blush, this uh, I was going to say, this doesn't do anything for me. I think he Devontae Adams, I'm going to view him the exact same way. But then mm-hmm. I went and checked uh, Keep Trade Cut and... Uh, he's still sitting at wide receiver 10. And to me, that feels like an extreme value. Um, I, I've got him closer to wide receiver six in my dynasty rankings. And I think that uh, I've always been the high guy here on Devontae Adams, just from a dynasty perspective. But I think we, we've got two or three more years of him. Um, and I think he still could be the wide receiver one this season. So I think he's a buy for me right now at wide receiver 10 prices. Yeah, John, I completely agree, man. I think he and uh, Cooper Cup should be our early favorites for wide receiver one this season. So sure, I, sure. I think that's a screaming value at wide receiver 10. I, Absolutely. I I'll triple down with you guys, man. Seeing that at 10, he's at wide receiver seven for me, but I totally agree that he could absolutely finish wide receiver one and I wouldn't be surprised at all. Nothing changes with this trade for his rank. All right, so take that keep trade cut. <laughs> the second guy I wanted to mention was the next most obvious one, which is... Uh, Derek Carr. And I think this does give him a bump in my book. Like before this, I had him right around like QB 24, like a low end QB two. But now I'm pretty comfortable pushing him up more towards like a low end, uh, sorry, a mid tier uh, QB two, maybe like QB 16, 17, somewhere in that region. I think he gets a bump here. Um, And, you know, it's kind of like how we were viewing Ryan Tannehill at the beginning of last season. 
that's kind of how I'm viewing Derek Carr here. Like he's a sneaky guy who could be a high end QB two, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. The diff with Tannehill, I guess, though, is that Tannehill offers some rushing upside that Derek Carr doesn't. Um, that's fair. I, I, now, as Derek Carr is, a, he's a much better passer than Brian Tannehill. Though. But Trey, go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, the other guy in that range is Aaron Rodgers, uh, Devontae Adams' old teammate, right? So I think sure. there's a fair yeah. question to be asked. Or, do you prefer Aaron Rodgers without Devontae Adams with presumably, you know, he has a four-year contract, but who knows if he lasts that long versus a guy like Derek Carr, who, you know, is definitely younger, but, you know, probably doesn't have that same upside. Yeah, that's a great question that I, you know, have been thinking about a lot. And I'm still firmly Aaron Rodgers ahead of Derek Carr just because this is like literally the back-to-back MVP. Right. You know, every time I like I know it's kind of a small sample size, but over the last three years when Aaron Rodgers has played without Devontae Adams, he still put up really great fantasy numbers. I think somewhere in the range of like 24.4 points and that's in like seven or eight games. So it's a small sample size. And one of those games was Oakland where he scored like over 40 fantasy points. Well, well, gentlemen, we aren't the only ones having this conflict because <laughs> Keep Trade Cut has Aaron Rodgers at QB 15 and Derek Carr at QB 16. So yeah, there you go. It's uh, that seems it's to be so the question, close, but it's it's not like Derek Carr has never been a quarterback one. Uh, I, I suppose he was quarterback 12, so he was a low end quarterback one in 2016. But aside from that, has never been a quarterback one. And you're looking at Aaron Rodgers, who has been quarterback number one overall several times uh, with or without Devontae Adams. So, yeah, I think it's easy for me. It's difficult at this very moment looking at what the Packers have at wide receiver. But I can't imagine that this is all they're going to have going into the season. They've they've got to they've got to get something else going there. And that's the that's the key point for me. I can see uh Aaron Rodgers going up from QB 15 but I think th- we're looking at Derek Carr at his ceiling like his situation is not going to change like QB 16 is like his best case scenario as far as I'm concerned I could see him Derek Carr maybe if he's having a great season go into like quarterback 12 or 13 range and and let me say like I I will say I'd me preferring Aaron Rodgers firmly over Derek Carr in dynasty doesn't mean that I don't see like the 30% outcome or 25% outcome that Derek Carr outproduces Aaron Rodgers in 2022 in fantasy, right? I think that's fully possible. It's just like when we're sitting here now, I'm much going to be more inclined to bet on the back to back MVP to return, you know, possible elite value for me over the next two to three years in a super flex league. Yeah. Uh, can I just add one more guy I wanted to mention here? I know we could talk about this all day, but uh, and this the first two were obvious. Obviously, Devonte Adams and Derek Carr were the biggest impact here. But one guy that I think is kind of sneaky uh, that really benefited from this trade was a running back, and that would be the running back for Green Bay, Aaron Jones. I think uh, mm-hmm. I don't. I, I say this kind of tongue in cheek, and maybe it's a half joke, but it's like Aaron Jones is he the wide receiver one for Green Bay right now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> So I think he's He's definitely their most talented receiving weapon right now. Right. So I think this helps him at least for the 2022 season. Um, And if you were holding on to him and hoping for the best, I think this is good news for you. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I have been talking about Aaron Jones a lot this offseason. I think he's been a value. Um, I think this, 
you know, potentially makes him even more of a value, uh, especially if you're a contender and you want to like shore up that RB2 position with a guy that has demonstrated consistently that he has RB1 upside, top five upside. Right. So, so keep trade yeah. cuts got him sitting at running back 24 and that feels low to me. That's yeah. Easy, easy buy for a contender. Cool. Let's move on to the Matt Ryan trade. So the Colts, they trade a third for Matt Ryan, which means ultimately, if you take that in context with the Carson Wentz trade, the Colts moved up in the second round and they netted a third round pick that could become a second round pick in 2023 to, in my view, and I believe in a lot of people's view, upgrade from Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan. That is pretty good managing right there. So Matt Ryan goes from a team in absolute shambles in the Atlanta Falcons to a pretty stable situation with Frank Reich, you know, an elite running game, a really good offensive line. And, you know, they've got some decent weapons. I think they've got work to do there on the outside, but compared to Atlanta, really good weapons. So Mitch, give me your thoughts about this move for Matt Ryan, the weapons in Indy and et cetera. Yeah, that was masterfully done by the Colts, trading Wentz and getting in return more plus a better quarterback and Matt Ryan. Masterfully done. Um, the Colts ain't a bad spot for Matt Chris Ryan. Ballard, Chris Ballard knows what he's doing, yeah. man. I mean, in fantasy terms, you'd have to think this is an improvement for Matt Ryan over the Falcons offense, which isn't saying anything at all. But I think Matt Ryan is a better fit for the Colts offense, better than his predecessors, Wentz and Rivers. Uh a couple episodes ago, I, I said, stick a fork in Matt Ryan. And, you know, I'm going to advocate pulling that fork out. Like, I'm still totally okay with stabbing him with a fork after last year. <laughs> but let's not forget, he had two consecutive quarterback one seasons the two years before last year. So, look, really, the expectations go from almost non-existent to conversation worthy now. He jumped from quarterback 36 to quarterback 29 on keep trade cut. But that's a bigger deal than it seems, right? Like, that goes from not starting to playable. And I'm expecting a, a mid-quarterback two season uh, without a whole lot of upside, but he's a quarterback that you would actually be pretty happy to see as your quarterback three on your squad. So as for his teammates, uh, I think it's a bit of an improvement for JT and Pittman. Uh, Pittman doesn't get a... He doesn't get gifted a great quarterback, so his value is going to have to chill for another year or so until we see, like, some chemistry. It's hard to move Pittman from wide receiver 19 to 23 out of that range. Uh, I think that he's just kind of there for me based on the quarterback. But all that's kind of baked in. Uh, the upside's there with the question marks at quarterback. So, And JT's JT. I don't, I don't see how this affects him much. Yeah, I think Matt Ryan will be perfectly capable of turning around and uh, handing the ball off to Jonathan Taylor. So Hopefully. definitely not worried about uh, <laughs> JT's outlook here. Um, I do think for Matt Ryan, I'm thinking about this situation a little bit similarly to uh, Jared Goff last year, right? So this is a guy who's kind of got a limited game at this stage in his career. And, you know, he's not going into a great offense, at least for passing production. So arguably better than what the lions were able to do last year, but still. Um, so I, I am kind of thinking Matt Ryan is probably turning into a value at, you know, at uh, quarterback 29 or whatever he is right now. And mm -hmm. keep trade cut. I think it's probably worth seeing if you could get him for like a low second rounder, especially if you're mm -hmm. going for uh, contending this season. Yeah. I think he's like a guy 
Matt Ryan is a guy that you could potentially turn like a younger guy with a limited ceiling. Like I'm thinking Mac Jones, right? If you turned Mac Jones into Matt Ryan in a first or something like that, you're essentially pre- replacing Mac Jones expected QB two production with Matt Ryan's expected QB two production. And you're netting, you know, a premium draft pick in the process. Yeah. Or people might be wanting to get out of the Zach Wilson business. And if you're a believer, that would be the, uh, the same sort of trade idea. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. John, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. Is this, is it galaxy braining too much to try to draw a straight line from Corderell Patterson to Naheem Hines? It could be a good situation. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah there, there could be yeah. some guys uh, in the Colts offense who benefit. So yeah, I think there's probably things to like about Matt Ryan ending up here. Yeah. You know what's interesting to me? I mean, this is not necessarily super dynasty related, but I saw arguably um, the Colts best player, at least their best defensive player, Darius Leonard tweet something like, here we go again, like fourth year, fourth different quarterback or something like that. So while I'm like praising Ballard for pulling off this move, it's got to be a little bit exhausting for the Colts players. They have a really good team, right? And they just keep having turnover at the quarterback position. So I think given that, you know, maniac Leonard is their leader It'll be interesting to see how this kind of plays out from a, a locker room perspective. Well, sure. dude, it can't be worse than Wentz, man. They've got to yeah. be happy about that. So so the flip side of this whole discussion, which we haven't even got to yet, is is what happens now in Atlanta behind, you know, with the team that Matt Ryan's leaving behind. And uh, guys, I, I didn't get to talk about Marcus Mariota when you brought it up a couple weeks ago, but I, I actually really love this situation for Mariota. Really? You know, he's... He's one of the, yeah, dude, he's one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the league. I know you have concerns about his injury history, but honestly, straight up, I would rather have him on my dynasty squad than Matt Ryan, just because his upside is that much higher. And yeah, I think his arm and his talent is good enough to drive the bus. Uh, So, you know, for a bridge season and for a guy as cheap as he is, because I think he's like 35 Mm -hmm. on keep trade cut right now, uh, there's a lot of upside there to get excited about. Well, Trey, you know, I, I don't hate that aspect of, of it. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Jared Goff because Mariota has shot up ahead of Jared Goff now in Keep Trade Cut. And uh, Cordero Patterson, Marcus Mariota, Kyle Pitts, that triple a- uh, that triple option is going to look nasty, right? But no, <laughs> I'm... Triple option. <laughs> I actually think that, that there's something to that. I think that they're going to run it better than anybody else in the league if that's what they actually want to do. I mean, I think that the Falcons are not done at quarterback. I mean, either they're going to draft a guy like Matt Coral or Kenny Pickett or something this year, or they are going all out for uh, Mr. Bryce Young next year. So we we will see what happens there. I have uh, Marcus Mariota shares, and I want to cash out immediately. Like, keep trade cut has his value as, like you said, an early second round or a mid-second round, like... I'm getting out at that price because, like you just said, Tarek, I think that they are not done at quarterback. And I want to get this trade done before the draft, just in case. Because, like you said, this could be a bridge, and that bridge might not be very long. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I would I would trade away Marcus Mariota for a second-round pick in 2022. Right now. In a mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, uh, let's move on to our next piece of news, and that is Jameis Winston 
re-signing with the New Orleans Saints. So he got a two-year, $28 million deal, $14 million signing bonus, which makes it essentially a one-year deal. Presumably, Jameis is going to have Michael Thomas back in that Saints offense. He's another year removed from that LASIK surgery. So, you know, we, we have yet to see a full season of LASIK Jameis. But Trey... We know the Saints were all in on pursuing Deshaun Watson, and they re-signed uh, Mr. Crablegs here as a consolation prize. So he had some moments last year before the ACL tear that got us maybe prematurely excited, especially after week one. But what do you think about Winston and the Saints? Yeah, so I, I do think uh, Winston, uh, Mr. Krabs here, is going to get the jobs over Taysom Hill. Uh, so. Uh, I mean, that's what happened at the beginning of last year. I expect that's what's going to happen again this year. And um, my my main concern is just the Saints were essentially the most run-heavy team in the NFL when Jameis Winston was playing last year. He only had 161 attempts in seven games, which is only good for 23 attempts per game, which would be dead last uh, if you look around the rest of the league. So Dennis Allen's the new head coach, but Pete Carmichael is holding over as the offensive coordinator. So I think... Things are mostly going to look the same offense-wise in New Orleans as they did in the past. So I'm concerned about the usage, but we know that Winston's got top 12 production uh, in his range of outcomes. And you know, also in his range of outcomes is he could win that job long-term. So we'll see what happens. I think the upside's there at cost. Yeah, I think that the thing we saw in the limited sample about Jameis last season was that he was limiting the turnovers. So if he stayed healthy, I fully expect yeah, they weren't letting him throw was, the ball. He was limiting so. everything. Yeah, everything was. <laughs> they, they were limiting him. The, yeah. the point being that if he had stayed healthy, he would have remained the QB for New Orleans through the entire season. And I and I would expect the same to be true this season. If he stays healthy, I expect him to be the QB one for New Orleans the, all of next season, and that has a value. It might not be very much because, as Trey mentioned, he's not throwing the ball very much. But there's still value in dynasty for QB ones for teams. You know, he's still got the upside because we know that he can just launch it though. And like, you know, if if they let him uncork it, if they do it like his fantasy value, he is a QB one. So uh, whether he can stay there, we all know that's very up in the air. Yeah. I mean, if they let him uncork it, you know, history tells us he's going to throw 30 interceptions, Yeah, but Hey, that was pre-LASIK, right? So who knows? Maybe who knows? 28 we'll interceptions. Yeah, and he's going to have uh, Michael Thomas back, right? So Maybe. You know, my, Michael, I, I, think he's, I think Michael Thomas has declared that he intends to come back to the Saints, and I think it's been too long we forget how good of a wide receiver Michael Thomas is. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'd be looking into buying Michael Thomas right now. And be prepared to get hurt once again, like I did last offseason. He's got right? two like ankles, it. man. We don't know what's going on with the other one. <laughs> All right, let's move on to this last piece of news before we get into our halftime and the rookie running backs in the second half. And I kind of want to combine two together, and that was the Allen Robinson signing in L.A. and the resultant Bobby Trees trade to Mitch Yates's Tennessee Titans. So yeah. Allen Robinson signs a three-year, $46 million deal with the Los Angeles Rams, who don't give a single fuck about the salary cap. Uh, <laughs> they just keep making moves. Um, I, we're not sure what Odell Beckham Jr. is going to do, but in that you know, resultant He's move... He's got a tweet. 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, the Titans traded a 2023 sixth round pick for Robert Woods, which is just an absolute steal, even coming off of the ACL. Like, I mean, think back a couple years, the Patriots traded Mohamed Sanu, you know, or they they traded for Mohamed Sanu for a second round pick. (laughs) So Robert Woods, he's coming off the ACL, still a really good player. But John, let's start with you. What do you think about this move for Allen Robinson? Uh, I had two thoughts. Uh, The first one is I've always been the high guy here. Allen Robinson, when we first started here, he was a wide receiver one for me. I think I had him all the way up at wide receiver 12. That's just plummeted the last season. Right now, keep trade cut. uh, At one point, he was all the way down at like wide receiver 50. And I think at that point, that's when we were advocating, try and get this guy for a second if you can. Uh, A lot of us weren't successful with that because... People were hoping that his value would recover, and it has somewhat. It's up to wide receiver 40, but that still seems criminally low to me because uh, I think he's obviously not going to be the wide receiver one in that offense, but guaranteed to be wide receiver two for the Rams, and that's guaranteed production. Uh, I, we're talking like a wide receiver two this season, I think, guaranteed, and uh just for the 2022 season. And so for me, he's a screaming buy, just as he has been for the last 12 months. Uh, I'm all aboard Allen Robinson again. He's finally got a quarterback, guys. Yeah, and and John, I guess the thing that I'm scared of with A-Rob is we just don't really know last season how much was him just throwing in the towel on the Bears versus how much was him (laughs) being, I guess, you know, starting to show the effects of age and starting to wear down a little bit, right? So if he was just quitting on his team and he's still the same player that he was the year before, then absolutely he's a screaming value at wide receiver 41. I'm just a little bit worried that he's he's starting to get a little bit older and, and maybe we're starting to see the beginning of the age curve. So um, I think personally I'm passing on A-Rob at 41, but I could see the value of a guy like Robert Woods who is you know only a year older and ranked you know 10 spots lower on keep trade cut right now. Trey, I love the way that you framed that as if like... It, it makes me want to root for a Rob to uh, have quit on his team. <laughs> it makes right. me makes me hope that his body's still good because I remember last year when we were saying stupid shit like Randy Dalton is the best quarterback that Allen Robinson has ever played with, and then we were excited about Justin Fields and all that. Like guys, we're talking about Matthew Stafford here. Like that is a big deal for me. So. Uh, if you had just held on through that sunk cost fallacy, man, like, congrats, because I, I feel like this is going to pay off. I I think that he has wide receiver two potential this year as well. So I'm with you there, John. I, I just had one follow up thought. And um, and I'm I'm sorry if I'm interrupting you. But uh, do we think that this changes the likelihood that Cooper Cup gets 190 targets this year. Do, does Allen Robinson, a healthy Allen Robinson cut into that? I think the answer is yes. Uh, maybe. I mean, it's going to be really, that's a hard act to follow. Uh, this yeah. season was pretty ridiculous on Cooper Cup's part. You'd have to think that he'd regress, I, I guess. Right. I don't think, I don't think Cup is going to have the same season this year as he did last year, just because he had the best season ever last year. Right. And I don't expect yeah. that's going to repeat itself, but he was also getting all of this volume when Robert Woods was still mm-hmm. healthy and playing and getting his targets too and putting up a low end wide receiver one season, which he was before the ACL tear. So yeah, I, I it would not fade cup at all because they added Allen Robinson. 
Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to kind of gesture back to the question that Trey had was like Allen Robinson giving up on his team or is he getting a little bit older? And I think that's a really good question for Matt Harmon and reception perception. And if you look at what uh, Matt Harmon has charted for 2021, it looks like Harmon's kind of erring on the side of he probably just gave up on his team and also like the bears just had a really bad scheme. Like he was running slants and curls every single route. And then when he ran downfield, he was still separating at an elite level. Mm. So I'm cautiously optimistic, probably more. I'm actually, you know what? I'm more like recklessly optimistic about (laughs) Allen Robinson in LA. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people, including us have been screaming. Allen Robinson is a huge buy you know, ever since he kind of got outside of the top 40 wide receivers. And it looks like he's creeping back up, but I think he's still a great buy. In yeah. My yeah. If I'm contending, I'm going for it. Yeah. And if that's the case, I'll absolutely bet on a Rob. Yeah. I guess we were taking Bobby trees into this conversation too. So I'll finish thoughts on him. Like from a football perspective, I love that he joined the Titans. I think that he's a great run blocker as well. So uh, Henry managers are going to got to be excited about that uh, from a Titans fan. Obviously, I love it uh, from a fantasy perspective. I don't I, I don't hate it either. Uh, I think his top end potential is absolutely taking a hit after leaving the Rams. But, you know, that potential might already been taken away by an ACL tear at age 29. Uh, so, you know, I I like where he's at. He's at wide receiver 50. And I think that, you know, that's a little low from where he could finish. I could easily see wide receiver three numbers with a high floor on the Titans. So, yeah, I, I'm not huge into targeting Robert Woods as the second option to Alpha J Brown there in Tennessee, um, just because it's such a low passing volume offense. Um, but yeah, from a football perspective, it's great. I mean, the Titans got a steal 2023 sixth round pick. It's amazing. All right. Uh, mic check. It is halftime. So we're going to kind of round out uh, our news section by doing a halftime segment on underrated moves in the last couple of weeks that we haven't really covered yet. And I will go ahead and get us started. So my underrated move of the last few weeks is the Bengals offensive line moves. They signed the best guard on the free agent market in Brandon Scherf, the second best tackle that ended up on the market when the Cowboys cut him in L. Collins, and they also signed center Ted Karras from the New England Patriots. So they just completely revamped their offensive line, and I love that they dropped the bag in free agency two years in a row. Last year, they did it with the defense, and that unit was much improved. Right. So the Bengals are doing exactly what a team should do when they have an elite quarterback on a rookie contract. I'm really excited for Joe Burrow. I'm really excited for both of those elite receivers. I'm really excited for Joe Mixon next year. Well done, Bengals. Wheels up. Yeah, I, I like that uh, mm-hmm. for Joe Burrow. That, that was the one thing that and you could you see saw in the Super Bowl. So uh, they, you knew they had to do it. But the guy that. Uh, kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit, maybe it shouldn't have, uh, was Rashad Penny. I was expecting him to, you know, make a lot of money and move on from Seattle, which I didn't want him to do. 
Um, and apparently he did have offers to go elsewhere. He signed for back at Seattle for about $6 million, and uh, he had options to go elsewhere for more money, apparently. Um, and he chose to go back to Seattle, which I think says a lot. Uh, for fantasy, he was a league winner at the end of last season. And my expectation going into the 2022 season is that he's going to continue to feature prominently in that Seattle offense again, especially now without a quarterback. Uh, his keep trade cut value was uh, running back 37, and that feels too low to me. Um, and when I was looking at the rankings earlier, I thought for sure that he'd need to move ahead of Ramondre Stevenson, James Robinson, Chase Edmonds, and Damian Harris. Those were 36 through 33 on keep trade cut. And I would potentially move him above even those guys, because um, if we're going to see the Rashad Penny that we saw at the end of last season, we're talking about a top 10 season this year. So... Um, I thought that was under the radar, and I thought it was really good for Rashad Penny. Yeah, Rashad Penny balled the fuck out at the end of last year, and uh, Chris Carson coming off like a neck surgery, right? So, um, yeah, you got to expect that Rashad Penny's going to get uh, the lion's share of the work there. But, Mitch, uh, what is your underrated move in the last couple of weeks? Well, we talked about one of these moves in the coin toss and Tyreek Hill going to the Dolphins, but... The other guy that I got here is Cedric Wilson going to the Dolphins. So we kind of scoffed at his, like, absurdly large $22.05 million contract for three years. But uh, I'm starting to see that offense, like, gel together there with Waddle and uh, Tyreek and then Cedric Wilson playing third fiddle there. Um, last year, he finished wide receiver 73. No, sorry. Last year, he finished wide receiver 44, but right now on keep trade cut, he's wide receiver 73. Um, he signed that contract, which is large enough to suggest that he's going to be involved. So um, I think that he's basically free right now. Um, I'm looking to get him thrown in on a trade um, if the manager has him. And I'm I'm trying to look at other trades and I guess to be a little sneaky to get him on my squad, I I feel like he's going to be one of those guys that can uh, step in uh, when needed, and I like to round out my roster with capable wide receiver fours. That's interesting. I don't know if I agree with it, just because I think he might be like the fifth fiddle on that offense after the receivers and Gasicki and Chase Edmonds. Like it, They did give him a good amount of money, uh, so that's worth noting. But I don't know. He's got like just over 800 career receiving yards. So it's really hard for me to buy into Cedric Wilson. But hey, you know, follow the money, right? But uh, Trey, what do you got? All right. So uh, this isn't a, a wide receiver handcuff like Mitch's guy. Uh, so I went, uh, I went the, <laughs> the tight end to the Chargers, which is, I think, uh, a staple for the halftime segment for the last uh, year. <laughs> We've done yep. this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, uh, they finally signed a guy. They got Gerald Everett from, uh, Seattle. So Everett just landed in the number one tight end free agent destination. And, uh, you know, last year he actually had his best year, um, as a pro in Seattle, it was only 48 catches for 478 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, so only good for eight PPR points per game. Uh, but his services were no longer needed in Seattle after they acquired Noah Fant in the Russell Wilson trade. So, I mean, Everett, the needle barely moved on him on the market right now. He's still ranked at uh, 36 on keep trade cut. So I'm definitely not saying you should go out and break the bank for him, but he should be ranked at least 12 spots higher than that. Just because the Chargers are one of the highest octane passing attacks in the league. 
and he could easily find his way into a red zone, uh, reliable target for uh, Justin Herbert. So the land of opportunity is there. Uh, yes, they could add another guy in the draft or in free agency, but you got to like Everett, um, you know, kind of an under the radar signing there in, in LA. Yeah, I, I I love the the boost that Everett got. He's been on the bottom of a lot of my rosters. Uh, I've actually kind of flirted trades like with him to sell him to see if anybody else is feeling this way. And uh, I haven't gotten a whole lot of bites yet, but I, I think that his value is just going to keep going up. Like if he has a good first couple of games or uh, a big game in the first three weeks of the season, uh, his expectations are, are going to rise. So um, I am uh, like optimistic because that that's the only guy they've got there. Um, McKitty is not, like at all a tight end that I'd be concerned about taking uh receiving reps there. So Everett's the guy. Yeah, right? and yeah. I, I liked uh I like Donald Parham. I liked his size and speed combo, but uh, you know, they they wanted to bring in some competition and uh, you know, Everett seems like your kind of tight end. He's a he's a dart throw and uh, you know, he's at that cost, there's nothing but upside. Oh dude, I love him. I and I completely agree with what you're saying there, Mitch, in terms of like I, I don't think he's a strong sell right now because I don't think people are necessarily buying in super high but i do think he's a great hold and like trey said he's he's a he's a good buy at tight end 36 so uh for these underrated moves from the halftime segment i had the Bengals signing all those big boys on the offensive line john talked about rashad penny going back to seattle mitch talked about cedric wilson signing that contract in miami and trey went with gerald everett to the number one tight end destination the la chargers but let's kick off the second half where we're pivoting back to the 2022 rookie class. And this week, we're just going to talk the top three running backs from this class because, guys, we're kind of getting into like 50 minutes right now. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about these top three. And then next week, we'll get into all the deeper guys. All right. So like last time, I did want to give the floor to one of y'all to give some overall impressions about the 2022 running back class as a unit. So John did it last time for the quarterbacks. Trey, I'm going to throw it to you. All right. So overall, uh, this class doesn't quite look as strong at running back as we saw the last two years for uh, 2020 and 2021. Uh, if Just at a glance, this class kind of reminds me more of what we saw back in 2019, with the Josh Jacobs and the David Montgomery class. So that said, uh, at the top of this class, there are some very strong prospects that I think are going to be immediate producers in the NFL. Uh, so there's probably you know three guys that I think will be drafted in the second round, maybe even at the end of the first round uh, come draft day. Now, after that, there's anywhere from like two to maybe five guys that could go round three but for the most part, all of these guys um, in the rest of the field have some significant flaws in their game and are most likely going to go on day three of the draft, rounds four through seven. So, you know, not quite as strong at the top as what we've seen in the past, but definitely excited about a couple of guys in this class for sure. Right. Yeah. And I and I think that bears out when you look at the Lance Zerline scores of the class, right? There's some strong guys at the top. And then after that, uh, a lot of like maybe NFL contributors. But speaking of the top, 
Let's get into the consensus running back one for most people, right? It's not complete consensus, but Brees Hall. So Brees Hall at Iowa State, he came into the combine with a pristine production profile as a cyclone. True workhorse running back for three years, nearly 4,700 scrimmage yards, culminating in a 9.9% target share in his true junior year, which is a great number. Then the combine happened, where he ran sub 4-4, he jumped a 40-inch vertical, that gave him a relative athletic score, shout out to Math Bomb on Twitter, of 9.96. That is the second highest relative athletic score at the running back prediction uh, at the running back position in the history of the RAS metric that was only behind Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. So Trey Cryan, mm. a few months ago when we talked about process adjustments, you said you plan to be more aggressive ranking the rookie running backs in relationship to the veterans. And I said something to the effect of, you know, I don't think we have that guy this year. Maybe Brees Hall. That's what I said. And that maybe is looking like a massive undersell right now. But what do you think about Brees Hall? Oh, absolutely, man. I would say right now he is already a top 10 running back for Dynasty. And that might be underselling him, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. so I'm gonna He's in my top seven. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take a closer look at it, see how high I can justify it. But um look, you guys talked quarterbacks last week, and there's this common uh philosophy of always going qu- quarterback at the top of your super flex draft. I'm I'm going the opposite here. I am leaning Hall for the 101 at the top of a super flex draft over Malik Willis, over the top wide receivers, if we were doing our rookie draft today. So wow. you already mentioned the athletic profile. He's also got the prototypical size. So what that tells us is we are confident that the top five upside is there, right? Now, the production profile, like you mentioned, extremely strong. We see that with the 43.9% college dominator and the 10.7% career college target share. So you combine that with the top uh, Lance Zerline grade of the class, we're confident he's going to get that late first, early second round draft capital. The only thing I'll say that would make me more excited about Brees Hall is if the level of competition he faced was SEC, you know, rather than Big 12 defenses, right? So, you know, that's really kind of the only ding against him, um, if you ask me. So... If you compare him to last year's class, I think he would be right there with guys like Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. And to me, he is the number one clear-cut running back in this class and arguably the 101 of the whole class. I think he would be my RB1 in 2021 if if we combine the two classes. Yeah, yeah. maybe. I mean, you guys know how much I love Etienne, so right there yeah. with him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I... Agree with most of what y'all was saying. Uh, I think that you. I think there's a reasonable argument to take Brees Hall number one in this class of running backs and number one overall in rookie drafts. I'm not quite there yet, um, and it, it feels kind of silly bringing this up after we've witnessed Jonathan Taylor the last few years. But are we concerned at all about Brees Hall basically being the Iowa State offense the last three years. This guy's got 800 touches. JT had like a 1,000, I know. <laughs> but are we concerned at all that there's tread on the tires here with Brees Hall after three years of Iowa State, uh, 800 touches? Yeah, and I think, John, I, I, so it's a fair question, right? And, you know, you worry about guys like that, you know, being uh, prone to breaking down sooner in their careers. I've I've definitely seen research that kind of suggests that 
the elite usage at the college level is actually predictive of guys being able to handle an NFL workload versus people who are in part-time roles. For example, you know, Javante Williams at North Carolina, Mm -hmm. those guys actually end up being more susceptible to the wear and tear of an NFL offense versus the guys that had to, you know, be the main dominators at the college level. So I think there's a strong counter argument there uh, to cut both ways. So it's not really something that would take me off of Brees Hall at this point. And I think that's a fair answer because I think we see that in other sports as well. So, um, yeah, I think that's a that's probably where I'd land on it. The only thing other thing I would say about Brees Hall, the only other criticism that I'd have, and it's hard to find any criticism. And it's actually the same criticism I have of all the guys we're going to talk about today is that the the pass pro was average at best at Iowa State. Um, now, I don't think that's going to be an issue for a lot of teams, but that will turn him off. Turn be, That will turn some teams off of Brees Hall. But that, again, that's something, and we said this last year with a lot of the guys as well, that's something that can be taught. Um, but it sounds, it seems like the sort of thing we need to point out. For sure. All right, Mitch. So John mentioned pass pro, but I'm wondering what you saw on tape when evaluating Brees Hall. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. This is like my favorite or one of my favorite times of the year because I notably do not really watch college football at all. So I'm discovering a lot of these players for the first time. So I've been able to ignore the outside noise and like people's rankings and whatnot and just kind of got a chance to dive into it. So Uh, What I've been seeing with Brees Hall has been just, like, elite company off the bat. Like, I started gushing. Uh, I couldn't stop watching tape. Like, he's got great patience, good instinct. Like, that blend of power and speed and, like, his balance. He's looking for contact. And, like, man, he just looks extremely good. He's got a breakaway burst that just reminds me of Leonard Fournette back at LSU. He's got a sick spin move. Like... I right right now on DLF, uh, he's being ranked right behind Alvin Kamara and right ahead of Joe Mixon and Stefan Diggs and Derrick Henry and Saquon Barkley. And I I can get in on that, man. Like, I, I think that's appropriate. I would actually take him above Kamara. So oh, same. Uh, I'm, I'm with you guys. Yeah, like he's in that top seven already. And I'm excited to see where he goes. Uh, I don't think it matters, really. But, uh, man, like, yeah, this this kid looks like the absolute truth. Um, yeah, this kid's got the juice. I think he would be my running back five today. If I, I'm, like, I'm very excited about Brees Hall. Like, I haven't integrated these rookies into my ranks yet. But, I, I you know, I'm the most confident in Brees. Like, you just don't have to make any concessions when evaluating Brees Hall, right? Other than what Trey said about quality of opponent in the Big 12. And I think that's extremely fair, right? That's maybe the only concession you have to make, right? So, uh, you know, consistently elite producer, solid receiving numbers, one of the best athletes to ever enter the league at the position. But yeah, John, what do you got? And the only thing I want to, I know I keep saying this, the the last thing I want to add here, the only thing that we haven't mentioned that I think we should mention, the main reason that Brees Hall has risen to the top for a lot of folks, it's hard to differentiate between these top three guys, but a lot of folks are going to say the receiving ability. Mm -hmm. So we should just say that, uh, you know, his freshman year, he had 23 receptions, sophomore year, 23 receptions this year, he had 36. So that did gradually go up and it was pretty consistent. So yes, he can receive the ball. And that's why a lot of people like him. 
Yeah, we saw the same exact thing with Najee Harris, though, uh, just basically not receiving it his first couple years and then bumping it up. I, I think he doubled his numbers in his last year, and that translated really well to the NFL. So uh, none of this opponent thing bothers me at all. Like, I am very all in. Yeah, I mean, you know, anything over like 6 or 7% target share for a running back coming out of college is really good right yeah. so i look for 10 percent. Um, right yeah so he what he last year he got into 9.8 percent. right 9.9 which is really call good. it 10 yeah uh close good yeah. enough basically yeah. doubled. i mean yeah that 10 percent. i mean it could be an important threshold but uh let's move on to our second running back here that we're going to talk about and that's kenneth walker and we're talking about him second because he's the next likeliest running back to come off the board in the NFL draft, according to most sports books and mock draft aggregators out there. So he's coming out of Michigan State after transferring from Wake Forest, where he played his first two years in college. And at Wake Forest, he didn't do a whole lot, right? 579 rushing yards each year and just six total receptions. And then he explodes at Michigan State wins the Doak Walker Award behind over 1,600 rushing yards and 19 total touchdowns. He coupled that with just 13 receptions for 89 yards. And he also had a really plus combine coming out with a RAS of 9.25. So, John, I remember you flagging Kenneth Walker very early in the college football season since you know you actually watch college football unlike <laughs> the rest of us I, I guess trey watches more maybe than i do but the uh size and pass catching of kenneth walker those are the concerns right but what is your read on kenny dub well yeah when we were doing that uh that rookie series during the season uh, he had i think it was three touchdowns in one of the games at the beginning of the season and it just like oh wow and he ends up with, with doke walker so i wasn't the only one that had that reaction it's my opinion that Kenneth Walker is the best runner of this group. Like when he's in open space, nobody mm. is a better runner than Kenneth Walker. That's my opinion. Um, and I, I can see a situation after the draft where we're all talking Kenneth Walker is the running back one in this class. Uh, I think that is well within the realm of possibilities. Now, I don't have him there right now, but I think that's definitely within the realm of possibility. Uh, my, my concerns with Kenneth Walker are... I wouldn't say they're small. I'd say they're marginal because like I said, once he's in open space, I think he's 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 running a touchdown. That's that's what he does. The problem is behind the line of scrimmage. Both of my concerns are behind the line of scrimmage. The first one is um, what I saw him do. And I watched a lot of Big 12 this year or sorry, Big 10 this year. So I saw Kenneth Walker a lot. Um, he, he got stuck behind the line of scrimmage a lot. So when he's in the open field, he kind of reminded me of Javante Williams. The problem is Whereas Javante Williams never got tackled behind the line of scrimmage, that happened to Kenneth Walker a lot. Um, if if his if the first read wasn't there, he took tackles for losses, and so that's something that's an area of his game he's going to have to improve at the NFL, uh, just because the there won't be nearly as big of holes and there won't be as many. So he's going to have to figure that part out. Um, and the other concern is the same concern I had with Brees Hall. I already mentioned it, and that's in the pass pro. He was average at best as well. So still pretty clear top three guy to me. Excellent runner, uh, came out of nowhere, and this seems to happen every single year with running backs. 
Uh, he's the dark horse this year. And uh, yeah, I think if you don't have Kenneth Walker in your top three, then you're just, you're fooling yourself. All right. Well, I, I guess that's my cue, right? Uh, <laughs> that's so Kenneth cue, Walker. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I got Kenneth Walker at my running back four, actually. And, you know, before I say the rest of this, I absolutely reserve the right to change my mind and backpedal. Uh, but, you know, there, there's a lot more to the process to go. But from what I saw on tape, he looks good, but he doesn't look great. He seems excellent in space, like you mentioned. He's faster than he looks. He's got good vision uh, in the open field. And a lot of that looks, though, that like the defenders are taking poor angles and, you know, likely that's due to his deceptive speed. But some of those games, like against Northwestern, like it's just not that impressive when he's just running away from inferior athletes. So... Uh, what makes me skeptical about his game is that he does happen to get tackled too easily when, uh, there's contact and all of his biggest plays are just him like running untouched down the field, like absolutely untouched, like not even one hand hitting him. So I'm on it. I'm going to take issue with that, but yeah, go go ahead. What's your, I mean, look, I, I don't, I don't understand how you can say that when 1,168 of his 1,600 yards were after contact. That's like 97th percentile type shit yards after contact. So like I'm, I'm wondering how to reconcile your claim that, you know, he doesn't get touched, right? But like almost 1,200 of his 1,600 yards were after contact. I, I encourage you to watch these these big plays that I'm talking about. I mean, he's okay. absolute lightning in the open field. Um, the plays that I'm talking about are not on the highlight reel where uh, he's just getting crushed at the line of scrimmage or trying to make a, a big play and just getting nothing out of it. Um, I'm not saying that he's just like a, a, a boomer bust type of guy, but... Uh, I, I just have I have concerns that his speed is not going to translate as well to the NFL game if his if the rest of his game is lacking, which I think it might be. And like I said, I think he's he's good. I, I just like I want to like when I'm watching tape, I'm like wanting to like want to root for him. But I keep just being disappointed. So. Currently, so Mitch, your disappointment, uh, I've got the opposite of that with Kenneth Walker. <laughs> I've got a whole lot of appointment going on. Uh, he is, he, he, I'll point him all the way up to my top tier, uh, right there with Brees Hall. So it's, he is a strong number two for me in this rookie class. And then I think there's a tier break before you get to everybody else. And the, the four components I look at draft capital, he's probably going to go second round along with Brees and Spiller athleticism he checks all the boxes there uh Tarek mentioned the ras score the production yeah there are some concerns with the production specifically the you know 5.4 percent target share but like Tarek mentioned you know 50.2 percent dominator which is one of the best in this class and the ability to break away you know after contact which yeah that actually does show out in some of the advanced metrics here and if you look at lance Erlang grade so some of the film grades out there from other guys who are experts looking into this sort of thing. He grades out, you know, number two in this class as well. So before know, the combine, by the way, he was number one, right? Thank the you. combine pushed Brees Hall over him. So I get I get get some of the concerns there, but there's other people out there that are very, very high on this guy. And I'm I'm gonna agree with them here and put him at number two for uh this running back class. So question for you guys. Um DLF has him behind Josh Jacobs, George Kittle, 
and uh, Travis Kelsey, and ahead of Travis Etienne, Devonta Smith, and David Montgomery. Sound about right, or do y'all disagree with that? Yeah, I take him over all those running backs. Yeah, I would. I would have him ahead of Josh Jacobs right now, but obviously. I'm I'm more wanting to see the landing spot with Kenneth Walker than Brees mm-hmm. Hall, right? I think regardless of landing spot, unless he like goes to back up Dalvin Cook or something, I'm really excited about Brees Hall. But let me just say on Kenneth Walker, I, I mentioned the yards after contact. And look, Mitch, I don't think that that metric and what you and John are saying about him kind of getting stopped up behind the line of scrimmage, I don't think those are incommensurate with one another. It just like it's something that I have to flag. With the with the receptions, I will say Kenneth Walker had like 40 percent of the running back targets in the Michigan State offense. They like just didn't throw it to running backs. So I think it's an open question. Right. I mean, obviously, we can't bake that into his profile like we think he's a good receiver. But another metric I want to bring up on this podcast is shout out to Noah Hills at Noah Moore Parties on Twitter his metric box adjusted efficiency rating. It's called Bay rating. It essentially measures how a running back is performing in relationship to his teammates adjusting for men in the box, right? So Kenneth Walker leads this class essentially with 146.1% box adjusted efficiency rating. That means he is outproducing his teammates by 146%. And like he is just an elite runner, right? So he's my running back too. It's close with the third guy that we're going to talk about, but uh, I, I think he's just a really, really talented runner, at least with the the tape that I've seen, which is not as exhaustive as Mitch and the metrics that I'm looking at to kind of indicate talent. I, I have to at least nod my head, nod my hat to you, man, because he is absolutely outperforming his team, like. I, I had no idea who this Thorn guy is, the quarterback for Michigan Peyton State. Thorn, he's terrible. Holy <laughs> shit. That might have been the most frustrating. I was yelling at the tape and like I never I'm silent and I'm yelling like, bro, what are you doing? Like that's ev- that's Big I, Ten football, baby. Uh, that is Big Ten I, football. I believe a hundred and fifty percent outperforming is an understatement, dude. He, he didn't have a whole lot to work with there. So at least there's that. Fair enough. Like I said, like I said, I, I reserve the right to change it, change my opinion on this guy. But right now. Right. And, yeah. and I want to say like box adjusted efficiency rating. I'm not saying that that's like a skeleton key for running back evaluation. It's just an interesting part of the story, right? Because a lot of the metrics that we rely on, they're essentially comparative to teammates, right? Target share. That is an essentially comparative to teammates stats. So I just wanted to, include it as part of the overall story and give a shout out to uh, Noah Hills who works with breakout finder and BDGE follow his work. It's exceptional. Um, all right. So uh, are we good on Kenneth Walker? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Let's move on to the third and final guy that we're going to talk about today. And that is Isaiah Spiller. So coming into the 2021 college season, I believe Isaiah Spiller was all of our tentative running back ones And it makes sense, right? Because at Texas A&M, Spiller broke out as a true 18-year-old freshman, over 1,100 scrimmage yards and 10 total touchdowns with an absolutely stellar, for a true freshman, 8.4% target share. He followed that freshman year up with very similar stats as a sophomore and junior, ultimately finishing his college career with over 3,500 scrimmage yards, 
9.8% target share in his best year, which is a really good number. And then he did not perform well at the combine in the drills he participated in. You know, he ran somewhere in between a 4.53 and a 4.68 at, at his pro day because he didn't run at the pro day, uh, at the combine. So who knows what his actual speed is in the 40 time. He doesn't have an official RAS score, but his burst score per player profiler is in the 7th percentile. So Mitch, you know, tape grinders seem to think, and I think I agree with this, that Isaiah Spiller's athleticism is not as bad as his testing indicates. And I think from a profile perspective, there is plenty to like here. So talk to us about Isaiah Spiller. I think my process was helpful in this, like watching tape before looking at his combine numbers, because I don't even I don't even care about those combine numbers after what I saw on film, man. Like this kid looks good. I love his jump cut vision hands speed i thought he was smaller than he was because of how low he plays but 215 6 1 like that's big he's excellent up the middle like he's a full package running back like he he does sick shit against good opponents and he's nfl ready like uh yeah um i was looking for an outlier i was trying to find some tape that i didn't like on spiller so uh the stat line kind of jumped out at me on the bama versus a&m game uh, the, the stat line was 17 rushes, 46 yards, one touchdown, and that 2.7 yards per carry didn't look great. So I jumped in and like, he actually looked really good in this game. He, he racked up first downs left and right, dominated Alabama at times. His touchdown was incredible. Like it, he looks, he looks like he's got it all together. So dude is clearly my running back two in this class. And I think that uh, only because I, I think Brees Hall is in a tier of his own in this one. But I, I he's clear number two for me, and uh, I think he can be a complete back. So uh, I'm willing to make that bet now before the NFL draft, and I'm excited to see where he lands. Yeah, so just a couple of issues with the Spiller um, conversation there, just because I'm definitely lower on him than you are here. Um, so going back to the athleticism, I mean, yeah, we don't know the the measurables necessarily i think when you've got a pro day number it's probably safe to just add 0.05 to the best score and just call that good enough you know um but on the the size conversation at his height and weight he comes in at 29.4 on the bmi so he's a little bit undersized and you combine that with the you know bottom less than 10 percent tile uh burst score i mean that is definitely concerning for me for his upside and at the pro level. The other thing that really jumps out to me is um, for the production, the 23.7% college dominator. We know that that comes from him losing touches and losing playing time to his teammate, Devin Achain, uh, which is something that, you know, we had talked about and, you know, known about like during the season. So, you know, if you can't be like the best guy on your own team, it it just makes me nervous about your ability to translate that to the pro level. So uh, I'm going to knock him down in this tier. And in the middle of the first round, I would think I would rather bet on the receivers and the quarterbacks in this range than than Spiller. I wouldn't say that a chain was outplaying him. So from what I saw, they were just two pretty different styles of running back, even though Thunder uh, and lightning. Yeah. And and so like I feel like they turn to a chain at, at times, but 
he he handled it well, but they they kind of rotated back and forth between the lead back duties and again like what I'm looking at here is like what skills are going to translate to the NFL and I think that like I just uh, he is hopping off the page. A couple things I just want to throw in here that I don't think have been said yet is this guy's a thumper. Like he's a physical runner. And um I had him much like we all did uh running back one back in August I think we did the rookie preview show and that's when Mitch called uh, quarterback Malik Willis, and I said, "Who is that?" And that was, <laughs> and I was like, "I'm going to take Isaiah Spiller." Uh, the and since then, I still have the same opinion. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to differentiate between Spiller and Brees Hall by pointing out the receiving ability, and I think in some sense that's probably fair because I, uh, Spiller just didn't catch the ball as much as Brees Hall did, but. Where I'm going to draw a line there, I think it's a little bit more nuanced. The kinds of passes that he was thrown, the ones that he did catch, were more impressive than the ones Brees Hall were were catching. So I think that he's the better receiver of the two, based on what mm-hmm. I've seen. Um, and it's just more of an, a question of opportunity. Uh, so I still haven't seen enough to push Brees Hall above Isaiah Spiller and I know it's going to sound like a cop-out, but I think the draft is going to make a really big difference for me because I still think Isaiah Spiller has the same ceiling that Brees Hall does. I'm with you there, John. I I think that if a really favorable situation happened here for Spiller, I could could definitely see him becoming my RB1. Yeah, and and I'm not... not taking anything against his receiving ability. I am giving him full points for that, just like I am for Brees Hall. Uh, My issue is if you're a thumper in the NFL, then you better have enough burst to be able to get through a defensive lineman, which he doesn't have. And you might need an extra 20 pounds of muscle uh, to justify that 6'1 frame because he's going to get... I'm just I'm worried about that translating to the next level. I think that's yeah. I said on the breakout, uh, the show with Abby Gupta, shout out to them that, you know, my primary concern with Spiller coming into the combine, because we did this a couple weeks before the combine was his lack of expected athleticism. And I, I was hoping he would prove me wrong. I basically said if he hit certain benchmarks, like, you know, above 100 speed score, right, I would probably move him ahead of Walker just because of his receiving ability alone. Right. So that didn't happen. And, you know, I, I think what the numbers I am currently rely on are, are telling me is that Walker is the elite talent whose ability in the receiving game remains more of an open question, whereas Spiller, there's some serious concerns with his athleticism. But like I said in the open, like I, I think most people who really rely on tape will tell you that Isaiah Spiller is an athletic, fast guy. So uh, who knows what happened with the testing? I mean... When we talk about a Shane, right, his teammate at Texas A&M, like that's where the box adjusted efficiency rating metric comes in really handy because it's it's not only looking at how he does in relationship to a Shane, it's also adjusting for the situation and numbers in the box, right? Because a lot of people would kind of make the argument, well, a Shane's the speed back and the third down back when he comes in, like the defense changes. And what Noah Hill's research is telling us is that actually he underperformed his teammates pretty dramatically uh, adjusting for situations. So yeah, 93.2% Bay rating. Right. So there's some concerns there. But even with all those concerns, I'm saying because of the receiving ability, because of people like Mitch, people like Ray GQ, that I trust their eyes when they're watching tape. 
I think he's probably a little bit more athletic than his testing indicates. So I'm still keeping him and Kenneth Walker in the same tier. All right. All right. So let's close out the show. But before we do, kind of like we did last week, uh, I want to ask everybody to give us linear rankings for their top four running backs in the 2022 class. So we only talked about three, but we'll have that fourth one in there as a little teaser for the next show. So how about John? Let's start with you. All right, so I've got, uh, I'm just going to put them all in the same tier, and I'm going to say 1A, 1B, 1C. Sorry, big cop Coward. out here at the end of the show. Uh, I'd, I'd go Spiller, Hall, Walker right now. And then my fourth, he's a little undersized, but uh, he wasn't utilized a lot uh, as much as the top three. But I, he's a sneaky guy, and I think that he could, he's definitely got a role in the NFL, and uh, he could find a nice little niche, and that would be, Dalvin Cook's little brother, that's James Cook. Uh, I've got him oh, as wow. my running back four. Uh, he's, he, I would say right now of what I've seen, he's the quickest running back in this class. I, I've, I really like the tape I've seen of him. It'll be fun to talk about him tomorrow. Next week, yeah. Tomorrow. All right, <laughs> All right Mitch, what do you got? Who's your top four running backs? <laughs> uh, number one, Brees Hall, for sure. Number two, is Isaiah Spiller. Number three, well, we haven't talked about him yet, have we? Uh, Zamir White, Zeus, Zeus, okay. another guy I'm excited to talk about tomorrow. Running back from Georgia, yes, and uh, running back four. We did talk about him, Kenneth Walker. All right, so we got Zamir White and James Cook to talk about next week, both from Georgia. Trey, give us your top four running backs in this class. All right, so number one, Brees Hall. Number two, Kenneth Walker, followed by a tear break. Number three, Isaiah Spiller. And number four for me is Damian Pierce, University of Florida running back. He's a little bit older, but he's a guy who I think if, if he gets third round draft capital is going to um, translate well to the NFL. Okay. And we will also talk about him next week. All right. This is going to be interesting because the fourth guy for all four of us is different. So, all right. My number one in a tier of his own, Brees Hall. Tier two is Kenneth Walker and Isaiah Spiller. And then at the top of my tier three, after a massive gulf in between tier two and tier three, give me Rashad White out of Arizona State. Mm. Older prospect, Juco guy, but over 18% target share. And he's got uh, some athleticism to boot. So we will talk about the Georgia guys. We'll talk about Damian Pierce and we'll talk about Rashad White next time. But until then, hey, guys, thank you for listening to this marathon episode of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. We will see you next week. Goodbye. Peace. Slash tomorrow. 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 <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow, guys. Growing, ain't gotta justify it. No, I